Welcome to the Apartment Operators Podcast, where you can learn from experienced operators what it really means to be an apartment operator. No fluff, no sugarcoating, just the raw, unfiltered truth of the ups and downs of operating multifamily communities. Welcome, everybody, to the Multifamily Operators Podcast. This is Joseph Gosselin, your host, and today we have Brian Hemrick with us. Brian, thank you for coming to our show. Hey, Joseph. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Awesome. We start every podcast with our guests introducing themselves, telling our, telling our audience a little bit about themselves and what they've done. Um, take it. Thank you. Well, my name is Brian Hamrick. Uh, my company is Hamrick Investment Group, and we invest in residential apartments. We have 370 units here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I also invest in uh, self-storage, performing and non-performing notes, office, and we're just about to start a 120 unit uh, development, 120 unit apartment unit development here in Grand Rapids. Uh, I asset manage over 32 million in, in uh, value, and I'm just excited to be here and talk about operating my real estate. Awesome, and congratulations on the new project. I haven't heard about that one. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit later. Um, so, one of the things that we've always liked to ask our um, guests is how they run their operations, right? Are you self-managing? Are you using a third party? Um, which way do you guys go? Yeah, so I made the decision early on to hire third party property management. Uh, I, when I bought my first 12 unit here in Grand Rapids, there was that moment when I thought, you know what, I could do this myself. And then the more I thought about it after about five minutes, I'm like, nope, I don't want to do it. I would be terrible at it. It's best if I uh, hire a, a, a good third-party property management. I interviewed a bunch of different companies, found one that I really liked, and they helped me build my first 70-unit uh, portfolio. Awesome. And they, do they manage all your 300-plus units? No, at, at, one, at some point I got to a, a point where the numbers just started going down. I, I, um, around 2014, 2015, when I should have been making money hand over fist because rents were rising, my numbers were getting worse and worse. And I really had to dig into it with them to find out what was going on. Uh, could not get the right answer. And I ended up moving on to a different property management company. And they now manage my entire portfolio, which is roughly 370 units. Gotcha. And you're on the second one. So um, let, let's dig a little bit deeper into that one. So what are you looking for when you hire a third-party property management? Well, what was your criteria? What is important to you? How do you make that decision? So I, what I'm at, at its very basic core, you're looking for someone to add to your team who's really going to bring value to your team. And to me, managing those properties, uh, managing those units, uh, I want someone who knows how to manage the type of units that I already own. Uh, you know, most of my units, all of my units are at least 40 to 100 years old here in Grand Rapids. Uh, so I want someone who understands how to do that. Uh, I was looking at the time when I moved on to the second property management company, I was looking to grow my portfolio to buy larger apartment complexes. So I specifically chose a company that manages larger apartment complexes, as well as the smaller multifamilies, because I have everything from duplexes all the way up to a 207 unit apartment community. Uh, what's very important to me is, is that they have an on-staff maintenance team. 
because what I found is that when companies sub out their, their maintenance work, uh, you don't get that special attention that you do if the maintenance company works for your, your, your property management company, uh, because they will go and if they are there to fix one thing, say the stove isn't working, and they see that there's a leak in the tub, they're going to fix that as well. If it's a sub, that doesn't always happen. They might write it up and say, hey, you need to look at this. But then you got to send someone back out at a different time. Yeah, because the maintenance guy knows he's going to get a phone call at 2 a.m. and he doesn't want to take that call, right? Right, so he, yeah. So, so let's head it off. It as out there. Exactly. exactly. Uh, plus, you also have the financial side of things, right? If they sub and you sub, then now you have to pay profit margins twice. Right. Uh, so the more we can keep those maintenance expenses down and get it all with, you know, one fell swoop, the, the better the bottom line is going to look. Got it. Uh, to, to continue, I got a couple more things. One is the, the, the um, leasing is very important. How quickly can they release units, turn the units, um, market those units to get the best quality tenants? And then also the accounting systems, you know, what, what's the software management system that they're using? The company that I work with, uh, Green Property Management, they use Appfolio. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. It's real time. I am able to go in, you know, I could look at it right now online and see exactly how my properties are performing uh, today. What's the, what's the occupancy? What's the delinquency? Uh, what are the bills that are, are being paid? And I have real-time access to that, which I really appreciate. Yeah, it's, it's much better than uh, somebody uploading a statement at the end of the month. And by then, it's kind of like too late to, to react to anything. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to know, I don't want to know 40 days after the fact or 30 days after the fact. I want to know at least, you know, weekly. Real yep. But real time is, is the best way. Awesome. So how do you work with that third party property management? Um, do you talk to them daily, weekly, monthly? Uh, who do you talk to at the property management company? Give us a little bit of an insight of how do you work with them? Well, so the company that uh, Green Property Management, who I manages all my properties here in Grand Rapids, I work with them uh, on a pretty consistent basis. I wouldn't say daily, uh, but at times I've worked with them daily uh, when we take over a property and there's always something going on. Uh, I'll work with them daily. Preferably, it might be monthly. We have a monthly meeting about our properties, go over the numbers. Um, you know, talk about the budget for the next month or several months. What does the rent roll look like? How do we get occupancy up? So we do have those monthly meetings. And then we have, I, I can call anyone in the company. You know, if I have a maintenance question. I can get a hold of, of the maintenance guy. If I have a leasing question, I can either send an email or call the, the leasing agent at the property. So um, it's a consistent communication, but uh, we only have one monthly meeting scheduled. Gotcha. Okay. So basically mostly ad hoc uh, with a monthly reoccurring. Yeah. Ad hoc, really just depending on where are we as is, is the property stabilized and just humming along or are we under some sort of project and we have to have constant communication about expenses and, and, and progress. How about onsite visits? Do, do you do those? How often do you do those? Yeah. So for my smaller properties, my two units, my four units, uh, up to my 37 unit, I might go there twice a year if everything is looking good. If the numbers look good, 
Uh, I'll drive by the property when I'm in the area just to look and, and check on it. But on my larger properties, I have a, a 96 and a 207 unit with them as well. I'm going there at least once a month because I want to walk the grounds. I want to walk through the interior. Uh, I want to see, you know, how, how is it being kept up? Does it look clean, presentable? Do I see any issues that might crop up? And, uh, you know, it just, it just gives me the opportunity as well to take photos from my investors so that they can see, okay, this is what the, the property looks like as of a week ago. Yeah. And, and what you mentioned kind of resonates with my personal experience is the bigger the property, the more attention it needs. So there's more often conversations, there's more often looking at the budgets and, and tracking the numbers, and there's more often on-site visits. And then the smaller ones, especially the twos and threes and fours, those barely get any attention. Yeah. Um, but again, that's also because they usually have less turnovers and less uh, um, um, fluctuations over the, the years. Yeah, and also if you just look at them as individual businesses, your two unit is really not that big a business in the whole scheme yeah. of things. But if you have a 96 unit apartment complex, well now you have a multi-million dollar business and you have to pay a lot more attention to that. Yep, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned that you switched to property management company and we had to go through something very similar at some point. Um, what are those benchmarks that you were tracking in order to recognize like, wait a second, something is not going well. And what were the questions you didn't get the right answers to? <laughs> the questions were, why are my maintenance expenses getting so much higher? Why are, is our eviction rate increasing? Why is it that our rents are not increasing when um, we're in, in, in 2014, 2015 rents were skyrocket. Yeah. You know, so why am I not benefiting from that as well? And um, what, why can't you answer my question <laughs> in the first place? I wasn't getting good answers. Uh, and I, you know, I, I want to, this was a company that helped me build my original portfolio. And I really wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt. But at the end of the day, I just wasn't getting the answers. The numbers weren't improving. Uh, my, my profit, my net profit was decreasing. And there was no reasonable explanation why. And I just um, realized, you know what, as tough as it is, I need to make, it, make a switch. And I'm glad I did because as soon as I moved over to the new property management company, Green, which is Green Property Management Company, they turned it around within six months. I was back, back making this, the same, if not better profit than I, that I had been earlier. Yeah, and, and I think there's a really good lesson in there. That's a lesson that I learned also the hard way um, is that is there is some kind of an emotional attachment to the first company that you work with. And in many cases, they were there and taught us a lot of things and held our hand through a lot of things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a business. And if the numbers are not working out and they can't improve and they don't do enough to try to improve, you got to cut your losses as soon as you can. So um, I would give an advice and you tell me what you think about that is put a clock on it, right? As soon as the conversations are starting and you see that uh, things are not going the direction you want to go, I would tell the property management company, okay, you have 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever the, the comfort level you have with them, right? And put a clock on it so you can track it. And then at that date, you got to cut. 
Um, I ended up doing that, um, but it took me a little bit too long uh, to get to that point, and, and I regret not doing that sooner. Well, there's a cost to switching management companies. It's not like you can just fire them and then immediately start up with someone else. There, you know, when I switched from my previous management company, I had to pay out the leases. You know, I had to pay out what uh, they would have made on the leases that they had put in place. And that cost me about $10,000 right there. So that, that's a big cost that you kind of have to psychologically overcome and say, well, you know, not, not only am I firing them, but I'm also paying them $10,000 out of my pocket contractually. Um, and then there's the emotional cost. You know, you, you feel an obligation to them because they had, you know, if you're in a good, you were in a good enough situation with your management company that you had to manage multiple properties, it sounds mm -hmm. like. Yeah. And that's because at one point they were doing a very good job for you. And there, so you feel that obligation to, to respect and honor that relationship. But at some point, you, you're right, it is business and you have to take that emotion out of it. Yeah. Well, one more lesson is don't create contracts that make you pay if you have to fire them. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, look at your, uh, yeah, your management contract and yeah, they're putting tenants in. I, I, I had to respect that because they put tenants in place for, say, 12 months and they're, they expected to make their 8% or whatever, 10% or whatever they were making over that 12 month period. So that might be a uh, Michigan thing. That's not how we do business in Texas. Yeah, you guys are totally different in Texas. <laughs> you know, if you're not performing, I'm going to fire you, right? And I'm not going to pay you for non-performance. That's not going to happen. Yeah. But uh, uh, okay. Um, so a lot of the people we talk to are have either transitioned already or plan on transitioning to self-management at some point. Is that something you've considered? Is that something on your radar uh, um, at all? Or is that something you, you say, I'll never do that? No, I will never do that. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I don't want the headache. I don't want to have employees. You know, I control $32 million in, in assets. It doesn't mean I own 32 million. It means I control it. You know, I have investors, I have lenders. Um, but I'm a one man band. I don't have employees. I work out of my home office and I have a reasonable lifestyle where I can uh, spend time on the weekends with my family. I can spend, you know, I have dinner with my family every night. I'm not constantly at work. Uh, even though I am constantly working, <laughs> I think I'm not constantly at work having to worry about what my employees are doing. I much prefer, even though I know I'm leaving money on the table, I much prefer to hire um, you know, third-party management companies, uh, contractors. I prefer to have strategic rock star partners in all my different endeavors who do a lot of the heavy lifting and in some cases have their own staff and employee. But I, I very intentionally set up my life to, to not have that stress and headache of having to build and, and, and employ people, build a team and employ people uh, that, that I then, then am responsible for. I, I can totally respect that. Uh, and we've held off as, as long as we could. Uh, but for us and a lot of the people we spoke with, it, it's never about money. It's, you're right that the brain damage property management brings to the table is not worth the money it generates because it's not a profit center for us. Um, but it does allow us to have a lot more control. 
So yeah. there's a trade-off there. Uh, um, we'll talk when you hit 1,500 units, uh, uh, and I'd love to revisit that question with you. Um, but for now, I totally understand where you're coming from. I was there as well, uh, um, and we just we were cornered into setting up our own property management company, basically. Yeah, well, it sounds like you were in a situation where you had to fire your previous one, and you probably could not find someone who would do it as well as you would expect it to be yep. done. That's exactly what it was, right? We fired our second one, and mm. then we said, okay, instead of taking another gamble on the third one, uh, we're just going to bite the bullet and do it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It, but, and then you mentioned the brain damage and that's exactly oh, yeah. what I want to avoid. So, but, I, but yeah, kudos to you for pulling it together. Yeah. So uh, um, as an asset manager, we don't get down all the way to the daily operation of the property. Right. Uh, um, but there's always the ability to influence from the outside. Um, one of the things that we I like to ask is when you come in, and um, you guys do value add projects, right? Yes. So, so um, the goal in a value add project is come in, buy an underperforming property, increase income, reduce expenses, and uh, um, kind of make the property value a lot more than either refi or sell, whatever the strategy is. We ask the same questions over and over to our experienced operators because we always learn new things, right? And that's what this podcast is all about is, is helping new operators and experienced operators learn new methods and new ideas. Uh, so on the income side of things, we'll get to the expense in a, in a minute, but on the income side of things, other than the normal increase rent or implement utility chargebacks, what are the kind of things that you guys like to do that either generates new income stream or increase the income in existing line items? Um, well, you took away my big one, which is utility chargebacks. Um, but I do want to say something about that because there, for the longest time, a lot of the properties I invest in here do not have split utilities, uh, both on the smaller level and then the 96 unit we bought uh, does not have split utilities. So we are paying that. And for the longest time, we thought, well, we'll just um, eat the cost of that and charge a higher rent to, to compensate for it. But within the past two years, we've decided, no, let's do a utility charge back because the resident, they separate that in their mind. Um, they know that if they go somewhere else, they're going to pay utilities separately. So we should also charge them separately. So anyone who is listening to this, who is not doing rubs, uh, resident utility bill back system, um, you should con highly consider it because it will bring more money in and, uh, and also help offset those utility costs. So even, I know that that's a, that's, a, that's a typical one, but I did have to change my mindset on that. Um, things that we do are additional, you know, anytime we can get additional fees for like parking. Parking has now become, because uh, some of our properties are near downtown, uh, we know of some units where people are paying $150 a month to have parking. Uh, so we have kind of uh, monetized our parking in some, some respects. Uh, in, in the case of our 96 unit, we've included it in that rubs fee. So it's, even though it's not technically a utility, it's more like a resort type fee. It's going to include your parking. Um, a lot of these, uh, our 96 unit is seven stories tall. And when we bought it, you'd see a lot of those air conditioning units hanging outside the window. 
and we banned those. So you cannot have an air conditioning unit in the window. What we do allow them to do is rent from us for $50 a month, a high efficiency like floor air conditioning unit that vents out the window. Gotcha. So it's got a little vent, but it sits on the floor. And that has brought in some additional income. Uh, we have institute, uh, instituted a system that really um, is more deliberate about when on move out the turnover costs and how much of that can we build back to the resident, get out of their security deposit. Uh, and you have to be somewhat deliberate about that because it's very easy to just say, oh, well, you know, we spent $200 for paint. Uh, we'll deduct that from your security deposit. No, we go through and we itemize everything, whether it's blinds, doorknobs, things like that, and, and um, uh, uh, add that up to be deducted from their security deposit. Yeah, we, we do exactly the same thing. We have a price sheet, right? And that says this is how much you charge for the blinds and the flooring and the carpet cleaning and so on. And uh, um, we actually um, give that to the residents part of the lease package so they'll know when they get out what they're going to get charged for. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but the other income line items are really, really significant in the multifamily world because, you know, when you have a duplex, a two unit, and, you know, you have a resident leave every three years, it seems insignificant. But when you have like, you have 96 units and let's just say only 20 of them decide to rent the, uh, the $50 a month AC that you offer, that's a, a thousand bucks a month, that's $12,000 a year. And with, a, with whatever cap rate you guys are running at, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to the property value just because you offer that service. So yeah. uh, um, these are really, I got another big one you just made me think of. Go for it. Laundry. So on my smaller units up to my 37 unit, I've purchased the laundry machines, the coin operated commercial laundry machines. And that income really helps improve our, our bottom line and our net operating income and therefore the value of the property. Now on that same 96 unit, we inherited a 10 year laundry contract um, where mm -hmm. we're getting half, you know, roughly half the income, but someone else owns the machines and is um, maintaining the machines for us. I am, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but I am seriously considering purchasing eight uh, uh, washer and dryer units to just replace the contract that we have when it, when it comes due uh, at the beginning of next year. Yeah, so we have um, properties with both. Uh, uh, leased or uh, um, owned and on one hand there's pros and cons both ways right uh, on one hand you get to collect the income uh, but you also are responsible for the maintenance of the machines and the dryers and you know if anything breaks you gotta make sure somebody comes out and fix it and, and bear the costs and every few years you're gonna have to uh, replace the machines upgrade the machines and so on on the other hand uh, um, when you're the one signing the contract uh, of, with the, the, con the, the usually in Texas, it's called CoinMac, right? Or SDS or any one of those service providers, they'll give you a very big upfront bonus. When you do the math, that upfront bonus is good for a few years, right? So you really have to, they, they make it very attractive. They also tell you, you'll get a piece of the action. Uh, but my experience in talking to other operators, that piece is usually very, very minimal. 
compared to what you could have. So I'd say look at the property, look at the history, um, what they collect versus what you'll have in your pocket when you give it away to an operator. Um, and, and that's where the decision factor is made, right? If, if the operator gives you enough upfront fee to cover for the next 10 years or the next five years and you plan on selling in three, go with the operator, right? But um, if what they're going to give you is going to be half of what you can make on your own, you might, it might be worth spending the money and getting the machine. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great breakdown. Thanks. I know on our, our 207 unit, when we signed that contract, they gave us $45,000 There you go. for a 10 year contract. So that's, that's not bad. It's nice to have that money in your pocket up front. Well, the question is, what would you get monthly, right? Uh, from the machines on a 207 unit, right? If you get a thousand dollars or $2,000, that means they paid for two and a half years up front. Yeah, and that, that's about right. That's about how the math worked out. Yeah. So, and again, sometimes you need that upfront money. Sometimes you already budgeted the CapEx to buy the machine, so might as well just buy the machine and run with it, right? Pros and cons depends on your exit strategy, on your hold strategy, on the, the um, financial situation you're in. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I agree that. So, um, and one, one other, uh, income item can be rooftop income. Uh, when we bought our, the, our 96 unit, um, there was a, uh, there, there was rooftop income in place from a T-Mobile cell tower. Okay. Uh, which went away shortly after we bought it, <laughs> unfortunately, but, uh, there, that, there's that type of income to look into too, but you need a good attorney, uh, this, this cell, cellular companies will come to you and say, Hey, we'd like to locate a tower on your building. Is that a um, high rise? Uh, it's a seven story. So it's one of the taller buildings in, in its area. Okay. Well, so, so that's very specific to like core, core urban areas. Uh, when you have high rises and mid rises, uh, one thing that might work in your environment is also air rights, right? That's mm -hmm. very common in very, very expensive areas like Manhattan, right? If you have a seven story, you can sell the air rights so somebody can put a double the size high rise next to you and they'll pay you for it. So that's a, definitely another interesting opportunity when you're in those urban environments and you have uh, tall buildings. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so let's take a look at the other side of the equation, right? Because when we value multifamily, everybody knows the formula is NOI divided by cap rate equals the value. NOI is income less expenses. So every dollar we increase in income and every dollar we reduce in expenses are equal in the way they add or subtract from the property value. So increase in income by $2, but it creates $4 worth of expenses is actually reducing the property value. So what do you guys like to do when it comes to a new property you take over to maximize efficiency of operations? How can you reduce expenses, cut expenses, change the way you do things that they're no longer impacting your OPEX? What do you guys like to do? Well, one thing we've done is an energy efficiency audit where we hire a company to go through, look at all the systems that are in place. Uh, you know, in Michigan, we have gas forced air furnace, uh, furnaces, um, uh, HVAC systems. Uh, uh, in some of the older properties, we have hot water heat boiler systems. So we'll do a utility audit to see, okay, how are those systems running? How can, how, 
what kind of money can we spend to make them more efficient or replace them? What's our payback on that? Uh, we'll look at the, the building envelope itself, the windows, um, you know, do we need to put storms up? You know, some of my buildings are in historic areas and I can't replace these yeah. old windows that are leaky and drafty, but we can put storms up. And in fact, we're doing that uh, right now as we speak. And that will have a huge effect on the bottom line, uh, you know, saving on those utility costs because one, you, your biggest expenses are going to be property tax, which you can fight, but uh, you won't always win. Um, your, your insurance, which you can always uh, try to, you know, get the best bids on insurance, but utilities are a huge ticket item. And that's really going to be the, the, the best place to look to find those savings. Find all the leaks in the building. If you have a lot of units, all those little leaks really add up. And uh, the, the more you can stay on top of those, the more you're going to save. So I think utilities is big. Um, uh, decreasing tenant turnover, uh, very important because someone was just telling, dropped this information on me today, but the average cost nationally uh, to turn over a unit is $4,100. And I thought about that. I'm like, well, we don't usually spend that much, but when you consider the downtime and if it takes a, a month or more to mm -hmm. lease it out, well, that vacancy is costing you money too. So reducing that. Yeah, that's a lot of things that people don't realize, right? So turning a unit is not just how much you pay to paint it or, or to clean the carpet, right? It's everything. It's, it's the time the maintenance guy is going to be there. It's the materials. It's the... Uh, time the leasing agent is going to have to spend on uh, marketing the unit and from showing prospects and doing tours and then work the application process and the screening fees that you're going to get charged. And then that period of lost income is also something that costs you, right? Uh, so we always advocate to do the math before you tell an existing resident to move out because you want higher rent is what you're going to gain versus what you're going to lose. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the more you can decrease that, the, the better. So that's a really good thing. And that's a common thread we hear from all the uh, great operators we talk to. Uh, what do you guys do in order to increase retention? Um, tenant appreciation uh, events or maybe gift cards in one of our buildings we actually have a restaurant so we, we pass out gift cards quite regularly um, when it comes time to uh, the end of someone's lease we will contact them 60 to 90 days before that lease ends to say hey do you, do you intend to stay we really want you to stay uh, how, how can we make it so that you do stay um, and we'll offer small perks, like if they want a wall painted, um, mm -hmm. if they've been there for a while and they need new carpet or, or something, you know, a new appliance, we'll, we'll do whatever we can up to a certain amount. We don't want to you know, overspend, but we will spend to keep them in that unit. So we don't have those turnover costs. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of things that we always encourage our team to look at. It's like, if that carpet is destroyed, and they move out, we're gonna to have to replace it anyways. So it's not like you're spending money to keep them in. You would have spent that money anyways if they moved out. Exactly, right? yeah. So, so spend so, it while they're there and they're still paying their rent. Exactly. Um, we offer a carpet cleaning service, right? Somebody will come and clean the carpets if they have a carpet. Um, 
um, an appliance, new ceiling fans, whatever we can in order to keep them in, and especially things that we know we're going to have to do anyways if they move out. That exactly. kind of, that makes the most sense for us. Um, okay. Um, any creative ideas that you guys have been trying to do in the COVID environment? Because we used to do pool parties and, and all these kind of events, but we can't do those anymore, right? So in terms of client appreciation or um, retention uh, promotions, what do you guys do in the Corona envir environment? Yeah, that's a great question because that's sort of changed everything. You can't have a, like a pizza party in the lobby or, or anything like that. Um, you know, definitely communication has been key, but as far as showing appreciation, gift cards, we still do that. Um, addressing service calls as soon as possible. You know, for a while there when we were in quarantine and we're not anymore, yeah. um, service calls really kind of had to be put on the back burner unless it was an emergency. But I think just staying on top of the service calls, uh, making sure the tenant can get a hold of you and communicate with your management company when they need you, that's, that's very important. Yeah, that's great. Um, so another common question we ask all of our uh, guests is if you could go back 10, 20 years back and, and talk to younger Brian, what advice would you give yourself? And then let's assume you can tell yourself that 2009 would be the bottom by anything you can put your hands on, right? Uh, what lessons you learned along the way that you would love to pass on to younger Brian? Um, find those strategic partners. Find those those other individuals who will help you take your game to a higher level. Uh, you know, I've I've been lucky to find strategic partners in the multifamily apartment space. Uh, I've found a strategic partner, uh, several partners in the the self storage space, who really know that area, and I can uh, invest with them. I bring I bring something to the table as well, but um, you know, I, I can partner with them, and in the uh, uh, performing and non-performing note space. I also have a strategic partner in that. And that has just, you know, starting out often as an investor, you have to decide what path are you going, going to take? And I think the, the more you can find those people who are really good at what they do that you can partner with or work alongside with, the faster you're going to be able to, to go down that path and start branching out into other directions. Yeah, so it's that, all about the people you surround yourself with. That, that's a really great advice. Uh, we've heard it in a different way. Um, find a mentor, right? But it's find a partner, find someone that knows what they're doing that you want to do and, and partner with them, bring value to them. Um, that's really a common thread we see with all the great operators. So I really like that advice. Yeah. Now I like the mentor part, but don't, I don't put too much emphasis on that because I think there's all kinds of great mentors. I think people just listening to your podcast, Joseph, are getting mentorship from you and your guests. And, and now in the age of podcasting, when I started, we didn't have the podcast. We had to pay five, $10,000 for this kind of conversation. Yes. Um, but in the age of podcasts, there's so much great information out there. And I know there are a lot of um, people doing the training and the, the mentorship and all that can be very helpful, but if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to spend $10,000 on a mentor who's going to get me from A to Z, no, I mean, you've got to figure out how to do it yourself. And the, and the quickest way to get there is to partner with someone and bring value to them in the process. Yeah, and, and I've always, 
I've always been asked like, well, how can I find a mentor uh, or what can I offer a mentor? Because there's a lot of people that will reach out and say, well, will you be my mentor? I'll do whatever you want. It's kind of like, what do you mean whatever I want, right? It's kind of like, what do you have to bring to the table? Why would I spend my time uh, um, helping you? And this is where I, I've, I've taken a lot of calls for, from a lot of new people that just wanted, and I still do to today, but I figured for me, the most efficient way is this podcast, having conversation with experienced operators, asking similar questions so our audience can hear the different opinions and the different approaches and the different ideas, right? You're the first one that has a, a mid-rise. So the whole idea of rooftop income Still, it's the first time it came up on our podcast. But all right, score one for me. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, but the idea of because I talk to a lot of different operators from different parts of the country, then our listeners can get value and knowledge about all those different things. Um, like you said, and all they have to spend is time listening on iTunes. We don't charge anything for that, it's free for everybody. Uh, and I found this vehicle as a way of dispersing not just my knowledge, but other people's knowledge in a mass platform instead of one phone call at a time. Yeah, I, I agree. I host a podcast too, and you've been a guest on it. Um, I think if, if someone is serious about getting your mentorship and they call you, well, they better have listened to your podcast because <laughs> um, a lot of what they want to gain from you, you're sharing for free, you know, weekly or monthly or however often uh, your podcast comes out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to be conscious of your time. Uh, you, you've brought a lot of value. I just mentioned the fact that you have all those things that, that a lot of our previous guests didn't have was a huge value. Uh, if our listeners want to reach out and maybe invest in one of your deals, ask any questions, how can they find you? And we'll obviously put everything in the show notes as well. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Um, so uh, my website is higinvestor.com. That's H-I-G investor.com. H-I-G is short for Hamrick Investment Group. And you can listen to my podcast. It's called the Rental Property Owner and Real Estate Investor Podcast. And we we've, uh, have well over 250 episodes, over a million listens. And we're almost five years in. That's phenomenal. And yes, absolutely. Go listen to that podcast. Um, I was a guest on it. I listened to quite a few, not all 250, but quite a few of your uh, uh, episodes and really, really great value comes out of those things. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. You got a lot of catching up to do. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, Brian, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you coming on the show. And to our listeners, um, thank you so much for listening. If you want to listen more from experienced operators, our website is aptopr.com. You can find us on iTunes, Teachers, SoundCloud, and now even on Amazon. Uh, we're there. Um, um, we'll appreciate any review you can give us, one star, five stars, whatever works for you. Uh, we'll appreciate it. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to enjoy more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. For questions or feedback, please visit our site at www.aptopr.com.